Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to pick up at verse 26. And as you are turning there, tonight is Thursday night. And again, we have an email prayer request prayer chain at our church. They go out upon Teresa receiving them, but we gather them together one last time on Thursday night and pray for them corporately. And so once again, if you want to be part of the people who pray, or if you have a prayer request that you want prayed for, Mrs. Turin at gmail.com. If you email Teresa, within moments you'll have over 200 people praying for your request. The first one was Lori Castaneda. She asked for prayer for Amelia, who's been chosen to apply for a college program over the summer, and she asked for God's will concerning that. Lorraine Morales asked for prayer for her nephew Gabriel and Heather. They had a miscarriage, and just that the Lord would do a work in their lives. She also prayed that, or asked that we would pray for their salvation. Also, her cousin Saul had a severe injury from a clothes dryer. He was emptying out a dryer, and apparently it started up and got some pretty severe injuries from it. Deborah Ganado asked for a prayer for the family of David, her husband, his sister, who recently passed away, that we would just lift them up. Uh, we'll be having the services a week from this Saturday here at the church, and so just keep them up in prayer. Gina asked for a prayer. She's on her way to church last Sunday, and both her and her granddaughter were in the car, and they were involved in a car accident. Um, everybody is fine. The car was totaled, is my understanding, but the Lord kept them safe. Boomi put the prayer request out on Sunday as well. Her mom is here. She comes, she, she rotates six months here and six months in Nigeria, so I would imagine we will be seeing her this, her this Sunday morning. Dee asked for prayer for somebody named Glenn. Glenn M. is all I got. Uh, he has bladder cancer, and so we need to lift him up in prayer. Matt asked for prayer for his family as he is out of town this week for work, although I just saw him walk in, in a little bit, so maybe he went back out of town because he turned around and left. Uh, Suzanne asked for prayer for Mike uh, Wigington, uh, his salvation. He's the husband of the lady that she brings to church on Sunday, the lady who Suzanne is with who's in a wheelchair. But anyway, ask for, we just need to pray for this man's salvation. He's been going through some pretty hard times. Penny asked for prayer for her Aunt Barbara. She's in the hospital with low white uh, blood cell count. Um, haven't really heard anything more concerning that. Nora asked for a prayer for the health of herself and the health of her family. And then Annie asked for a prayer for her sister Mary. She has MS, and now she has developed a serious infection, and her life could very well be required of her at any moment. Uh, that's the one that, uh, sister that we visited, isn't it, Terry? Was that Annie's sister? No, different woman? Okay. Nonetheless, we need to lift her up in prayer. Annie says she's not sure of her salvation. Let's pray. Father... <clears throat> Once more, we just come before you, Lord, and as we have this opportunity to intercede on the behalf of these people on this list, and even so many more, Lord, who have yet to turn into prayer requests, that, Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have and the responsibility we have as well. I lift up Lori to you and just thank you, Lord, for their service here at the church and her daughter, Amelia. And I pray, Father, for your will concerning this college program over the summer. If, Father, it would be your will, we pray, Father, that she would truly be accepted. But nonetheless, we lift her up to you and the possibilities. I pray for Lorraine's nephew, Gabriel, and Heather. And pray, Father, that you would calm their hearts through the losing of this child. But even more than that, Father, I pray that they would surrender their hearts in salvation. And so, Lord, I'd not only lift up Lorraine, but whatever other believers, the Lord, that you choose to bring into their lives, I pray, Father, that they would surrender themselves to your word. I lift up Lorraine's cousin Saul, this young man, and this severe injury he received from this clothes dryer. I don't know where he is at spiritually, but nonetheless, we pray that you would meet him in the midst of all that he's dealing with. Lord, I lift up the Granado family, and I just pray, Father, that your peace would come over them. I pray, Father, for the organization of the services and all of those things and how busy that can be, especially during a time of mourning. I just pray, Father, that you would give those in charge, give them wisdom. I pray for Deborah, as I know she's got a pretty prominent part in this, Lord, that you would fill her with your spirit and show her, Father, the things that you would have. And again, I pray for your word as it goes out during those services, Father, that we would see people saved. Lord, I lift up Gina and Savannah, and I thank you for keeping them safe. And I pray, Father, that 
that, Lord, as you have, that you would guide them, Lord, in the details of getting a new car and all of those things. I pray for the other people that were in the accident. Um, Just pray, Lord, for the work that you want to do here, that we would see it and follow through in it. And Lord, I thank you for bringing Bumi's mother, Patience, home, or at least back here, safely, and just pray that you would bless her amongst her family, and her family would be blessed as well, and we look forward to that time of fellowship that we would be able to have together also. Lord, I lift up Dee's acquaintance, Glenn, and I just pray for this bladder cancer, and just pray, Father, for this man's life, that, Father, you would spare it until the day of his salvation, and, and even past that. But, Lord, we just pray for your will in this matter that we would see it come to pass. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that you have kept Matt's family safe as he has been out of town. Thank you, apparently, for bringing him back safely. And just pray that you would bless them, that you would continue to use them in the house of God. Lord, I lift up this man, Mike uh, Wigington, and I pray for his salvation. He seems to be a man that is pretty hardened by life, and I pray, Father, that you would break him. Whatever is necessary in his life, Father, that we would see him surrender himself to you. Lord, as Suzanne goes and picks up his wife and brings her to church, I pray, Father, that we would see this man here as well. Lord, I lift up uh, Penny's Aunt Barbara, and I just pray for, Lord, if there's something there in her body that needs to be revealed to the doctors, we pray, Father, that you would do that, that you would give them wisdom and direction. I pray, Father, that you would meet her in that hospital, Father, and we just pray that your hands of healing would be upon her. And then, Father, I lift up our sister Nora, somebody who we prayed for quite a bit over the years. She suffers in pain quite a lot. And I just pray, Father, that you would give her a peace in the midst of her suffering. But I also pray for her family, Lord. There's just a lot that is going on there. And just pray, Father, that you would do a new work. And I pray, Father, that you would use Nora in that work. And then, Lord, we lift up Annie and, well, Annie's sister, Mary. And I just pray, Father, for this infection and And Lord, she very well could be in the last moments of her life. So Father, I pray that you would make her calling and election sure that Father, not only she would know, but her family would know where she is at with you. And so again, Father, it just seems such a a small thing to offer as prayer, but we understand the one to whom we pray for. It's the one who qualifies our prayer through the power, Lord, that you possess. And so, Father, we do pray that you would move in the lives of these people in such a real and profound way that it's undeniable that, Lord, it was truly a work of you. And so, Father, again, we just thank you for this privilege. I pray, Lord, that we would truly be found faithful, especially when it comes to prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, starting at verse 26, Jesus still ministering to this woman at a well. It says, Jesus said to her... Actually, I'll back up one verse. Verse 24, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And I had imagined this would had to be one of those points that just stopped her dead in her tracks. Jesus said to her, I who, you, who speak to you am he. Now, at all of our salvation, at some point, regardless of who it was that was speaking the words to you, at some point, you just knew that, well, you knew there was a God out there, and you probably knew that there was a Savior. Again, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And for those who became born again, at some point, you realize, I who speak to you am He. You knew the person whom the Word was being spoken of was truly Jesus Christ, And he was truly the one who was to become your Savior. Verse 27. At this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So, in all the richness of the lessons on salvation that we have drawn from first Nicodemus, and now this woman at the well, the disciple is now brought back into the equation. So as a gathering together here tonight of his disciples, it's what a church is, we must consider the church today, and not just the church today, but our church today, the place that we have influence, the way that if change is necessary, it's going to come through us, the members of that church. Is our church, is it nearsighted? Or is our church farsighted? A nearsighted church only seeks after its worldly needs and the things that it wants. It tries to make itself comfortable until God calls it home, thinking that it in fact is going to be coming home to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 13, he alluded to such a church. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, I'm sorry, not a church, but a situation that exists within the church age, it says, another parable he put forward to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. Now a tare is something that looks just like wheat until it is time to bear fruit. So it's indistinguishable until harvest time. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So they were revealed for what they are. So the servant of the owner came and said to them, Sir, do you not sow, did you not sow good seed in your field? And how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, at least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together, and that's what's occurring now, until the harvest... And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so we've got to make sure that we are that which produces fruit. The only way we produce fruit is through the Holy Spirit. But first, I must be born again. But as we are, we can't be nearsighted pulling within ourselves. And again, that's our natural tendencies. You look at home, you've probably got a very comfortable home based upon what you define as comfort. That's that place that you probably feel safe and secure and you probably got your favorite place to relax. I have my little corner on the couch that I I like because I can just kind of fall off to the side and fall asleep real easy too. And, but we got our, you know, just little places like that. You probably heard it pointed out before that back in the old days, it used to be the front porch. I know when we were growing up, we would play tag or ditch it throughout the neighborhood, and all the parents would sit out on their front porches fellowshipping, and there was just this big community that existed within the neighborhood. But somewhere, sometime around in the 70s or so, there was this great change. And instead of building porches, we were building patios patios and we were isolating ourselves and it's not what God has called us to do in a nearsighted church it focuses upon its own comfort we're not to be comfortable in here we're not to be building these big ornate churches for the purpose of being comfortable and settling in but the churches that are built need to be for the purpose of equipping and sending out it's essential that we have this mindset because that's how the church has flourished I mean, consider it. How has the church remained for the past 2,000 years? Because people spoke forth the word of God. As people spoke forth the word of God, God saved souls. So we ought not to be, we can't be a nearsighted church. But then there is the farsighted church. This is the church that looks at the world and sees the amber waves of grain that is ready to be harvested, the potential The potential is they go out there and they do the work of a harvester speaking God's word. This church knows that its rest is going to come in heaven, but for now it seeks to be busy about doing the Lord's work. This particular church, it longs to hear those words, knowing that as long as they're obedient to the Lord, truly at the end, which is really a glorious beginning, they will hear those words written in Matthew 25, 23. The Lord said to him, now this is what makes it all worthwhile. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. 
Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that what you want to do? Enter into the Lord's joy over you and over your ministry. Now, the only way that my ministry, our ministry, is going to produce joy is doing it according to how the Lord has set forth. And that's why we've been taking so much time in chapters 3 and chapter 4 of the Gospel of John so that we would understand this salvation process. That first, we would understand the salvation process in our own lives. We looked at John chapter 3, and I'll ask you once again, are you born again? Because as this is something that is essential for salvation, that's something that God would well, God would reveal it to each and every one of us on a personal level so that I would know that that change has taken place. But also I would realize what is necessary for somebody to become born again, somebody that God has given me to minister to, that it's got to be through somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit, but also preaching the Word of God because it's that which changes lives. And then we have not only Nicodemus, that best-case scenario of a man, we've got this nameless woman, this nameless woman who was not only forsaken by so many, even five men, five husbands, and the one she's with now isn't even her husband, but this woman who the world probably would not look twice at, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had this divine appointment for this woman. So this farsightedness is what we now see in this woman. Because farsightedness, it looks far and wide, and it examines every opportunity that the Lord brings to it. Notice that the Scriptures do not say how this woman became born again, although what we have to examine is what we were talking about in Matthew chapter 13, the fruit. And this woman, we see fruit. Nicodemus, not so much possibly a little bit later on concerning the Lord's body, But right now, we see this this progression that is to go on throughout the church age of somebody getting right with the Lord and then telling somebody else what occurred in their life. We see in the verses that we're about to look at that she makes a strong statement for salvation. This fruit is such rich fruit. It's sweet fruit, and it's fruit that produces. Now, I'm not an expert of fruit, but the majority of the fruit... What is contained? Well, what's contained in the fruit is usually that which you disregard. It's either that pit or those seeds. But that pit or those seeds is what continues on the process. It's that which is planted, produces more trees, which produces more fruit. We need to be mindful because, well, I can look at the fruit that is produced and rejoice in the salvation, but I also need to see, there's that, that's the sweetness of the fruit, but I also need to understand that there's the pits and the seeds because it's going to be that which in the future is going to produce more. The Apostle Paul says, from faith to faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. And so I want my kids, I want to see the sweetness of their salvation, but I also want to see that they're able to reproduce. A church, I want to see the sweetness of salvation, but also the ability to reproduce. It's essential. Now, we understand that the church is kept by the Lord, but this process is essential for the continuation of the church. James chapter 2, verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So I want to start out tonight by looking at a couple of proofs that this, of this woman's salvation that you should be able to once again relate to in your life. First thing, this woman, is she saved? Well, the process that appears to have brought her to salvation, well, she qualifies, if you will, based upon, again, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, as the Lord was speaking to Nicodemus, verse 5, Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Well, this woman has been presented with the Word of God by the Son of God through a divine appointment of the Holy Spirit who is God. And again, this is truly living water living water that, well, she was just going to this typical day, doing the typical thing, but now, rather than just getting the water to which she will thirst again, she's got this water that will, for the rest of her life, satisfy her thirst. 
It says in verse 27, And at this point His disciples came and they marveled that He talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and spoke, said to the men. This woman who previously did not understand spiritual things, who, were, who was most concerned with earthly needs, and was ignorant of true religion, she came to the well that day with a priority of just doing, again, what she did every day, taking care of her bodily needs to satisfy her, her thirst with this water. But then when she left, now again, put yourself in that place. The day that you were saved. You should be able to know the day that you were saved, or we'll at least whittle it down to the time period when you were saved. You should have seen yourself going through your normal life, just doing what you usually do, seeking after your wants, your desires, and things you may consider to be your needs. But then there was that point that you became born again. Now, born again is a stamp in time. Now, you may just recognize it, the before and after is is a period, but it is a stamp in time, the moment that you believe. And so, this woman, we we see the change that it left in her life because she was going there for the express purpose of gathering water, but now that was no longer a, a priority anymore. The woman left her water pot. Well, the idea here is, at least the pitcher, she don't need it anymore. Because again, what did Jesus say? I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. Matter of fact, we looked at that picture of Jacob's well and we equated it to the New Testament. I'm sorry, the Old Testament. And as it was a picture of the Old Testament, man would have to continue to go back to the well, back to the well, back to the well, just like sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice needed to be made. But now through this torrents of living water that enters into the lives of man, through the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection, now... You don't need to go back to the well. This is that which satisfies once and for all. And so she left. Well, that water pot was just not so much important anymore. But the fact of the matter is we did leave. Not walking away from the Lord, but walking away with the Lord. Because Jesus did command us, 28.19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what this woman woman is setting off to do. Her experience with the Lord started as all salvation experiences do, again, going about a menial task, but now she has found herself transparent before a holy God. He sees me. He knows everything about me. Now, there's things in each and every one of us that, You just don't want anybody to know about. I called, I pretty much knew who's usually here, so I called your spouses and they gave me a list of each and every one of you. We're going to show it up here. No. You just wouldn't want people to know. Why? Because you'd be worried about what they would think about you. You'd be worried about what they would talk about you. You'd be worried about, could you even continue to go to this church still? But the thing about the Lord and the grace of God He knew everything about me, but it's okay. And you could tell Adam and Eve that. Get out of the trees. Take off the leaves. God knows everything about you, and it's okay. I mean, it's not a good thing what you did, but he's going to work out this this plan of salvation in such a way that the love of God is going to be magnified in ways that you can't even imagine. So we can look down on Adam and Eve. Man, you really messed it up for everybody else. I was Sean Turin and Dwight and I were talking in the hallway and we truly believe that baldness has come about because of the sinful condition of mankind. Paul would say amen to that. Those dead follicles, I mean, if nothing died before, then I don't think Adam was bald until after the sin, the sinful condition of mankind. You don't have to really write that down. That's not deep theology here. But nonetheless, nonetheless, Adam... Adam, because of that which you have done, and God sees and God knows, and because it's okay, God continues to work the plan. It's when you remain in the bushes and remain with the fig leaves, thinking that you're hiding something, but never dealing with it, 
That's the problem. Well, that's what this woman had done all of her life. Man after man after man just kind of buried the one man, not killing him, but just casting off one and going to the next. Or the man was casting her off and then she would go to the next either way. But now Christ, Christ sees her exactly for who she is. And again, that is a very good thing. The woman said to him, verse 24, that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And she had to say, that's so true. That's so true. Because when Christ came into my life, he told me all things. He told me all things. The things, again, that I hid from most people things that I understood of myself and probably wasn't even willing to admit to myself. And I truly thought I was a good guy, a good person, a good father, a good husband, a good so-and-so and this and that. But nonetheless, I knew I was stained. And Christ revealed that to me through his perfection or through the perfection of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I realized he who spoke to me was he. And the same change occurred. So what does she go and do? She's going and telling others just simply what she knows and what she has experienced. That's all God has ever required of you. God doesn't expect you to put together notes in a detailed point-by-point Bible study. Just go out and tell people what you know. And if they ask you a question and you don't know, there's an opportunity for growth. There's a possibility of learning. Go and find out. Don't just call Pastor Mike. Somebody said, Pastor Mike called me on the crisis line. Yeah. He goes, hold on. Here, talk to this guy. It's like, Bob, your name's Bob? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just kind of a weird, awkward kind of a thing. Now you tell him. You go find out. If you can't find the answer, then let me know. We'll find the answer for you. But nonetheless, God wants to use you. And God will use you. And you may think, well, how could God ever use me? Or I don't know. You can come up with all these excuses, but he saved you. He saved you for that purpose of using you. And so, that being the case, don't disappoint him. Don't let him down. I mean, because of grace you can't, but you know what I'm I'm saying here. And so this woman went and said, uh, back into the city, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? As each of my children drew their first breath on the day that they were born, they cried out. And as they cried out, new life came. As the born-again believer on the day that he is born again, as he cries out, as he cries out the testimony of what God has done, maybe even the limited amount of word that he has, then new life comes. This woman cannot help but speak of the things that God has done. Now, an interesting observation, kind of a play on words here. John does that every once in a while. In verse 28, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come and see a man. She went to the men, but came and said, come and see the man. This is the man who is going to make all the difference. Now, it says, she went, again in verse 28, and said to the men. I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think she went to all of the men in the city. I think there were six of them. Five of them used to be her husband, and one now she was living with. Because she didn't know all the other men. It wasn't common for a woman to go and talk to to a bunch of men. But the one thing she did know, that each of those men was the sinner. Because that's what Christ used in her life to reveal her sinful condition. So the means and ways that she's been ministering to, ministered to, now she is ministering to others. And so, six men. Six men, again, five used to be her husband, one's her living boyfriend now. And she says, come and see a man. It's capital M, we know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is the man. And you can kind of look at it, her in the flesh, she was looking for happiness, she was looking for security, and whatever else you women look for in a man, she was looking for it. But it doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because now she's found the man. Men look for the same things in women too, but unfortunately for you ladies today, we're talking about a woman. So everything that I look for, you know, if she was talking to those six guys, everything I look for, you new bums, and I didn't get, I now know the man. I now know the man who, who truly knows me 
and understand. I don't have to play games. I don't have to hide things. All things are wide open to Him. And it's okay. And it's okay. And it's at that moment that she's gained a biblical perspective of life that makes all the difference. It was never about dependency upon a man, but the man. But we do see the love that this woman has and that she went and, and told them. Because see, the men here is just simply structured that the way the, ver, or the, I'm sorry, the verbiage is structured to mean men that she has already met. So I, I'm fairly certain that it is those six men. And as she's asking them, or talking to them, she's asking them to consider for themselves who the Lord is. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Come and consider for yourself. John the Baptist, he's in prison. He goes, go and ask if he's the one. And again, I don't think it was that John the Baptist was having doubts. He may have, but he was wanting his disciples. Remember, he needs to decrease and they need to increase. Well, you can't get much more decreasing than being in jail and about to have your head lopped off. And he didn't want these men just kind of cut loose. He's trying to send them to Christ. And it's the same thing that this woman is doing. Come and see a man who told me all things. Could this be the Christ? And I, I just seriously doubt that she's doubting. She's wanting them to know. You go check it out and you go tell me. And again, it's what we do. We share the word, but sooner or later, the person who hears the word has got to make the determination for themselves. Could this truly be my Lord and Savior? This comment is not for them to answer, but simply for their consideration so that they would know. She's saying, look, Messiah is here. Go see for yourself. Go see for yourself, and then you will understand, you will know. And how can she say that? She can say that because of the degree to which God has moved in her life. The way Christ has introduced herself as her Lord and Savior. There's no doubt in this woman's mind. On the day of your salvation, you probably didn't understand all of the details. I know I didn't, but there was no doubt in my mind that I was doing the right thing. I had known that I needed to do it, probably started attending church for, I don't remember, maybe, let's just say two months, I think it was two months, got saved in July, so I think we started in May, I'm not positive on that, but I'm pretty sure. It it took that time, but I knew, looking back, I knew just every moment of those two months, it just took me until, okay, the Lord has really struck my heart, there's no doubt, no turning back, no turning back, it's time to follow Jesus. A basic element, again, of leading people to Christ is simply telling them of what you know of the Lord. It's exactly what the blind man did. The blind man, he just was met by the Lord. Again, kind of the same thing. It was a divine appointment type of thing. And John chapter 4 with the woman of the well, he had to go through Samaria, something that the common Jew would not usually do. Jesus was confronted by the religious community. And in John chapter 8, verse 59, it says, And they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now as Jesus passed by, so hammering that point, passing by all of those who were rejecting him, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And so it's as if the Lord has tunnel vision once again, passing by all of those who reject him in order to get to the one who is going to receive from him. And this man, this blind man, when he was confronted in verse 25 of chapter 9, it says, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know, but the one thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. I do know the work that he has worked in my life. Now, that's really saying a mouthful, because if you're with us this coming Sunday night, that was one of the aspects of the ministry of Messiah, opening the eyes of the blind. That being the case, he's telling them, you consider for yourself. And again, a mouthful, why? Because they've got the word of God, they shoulda, they oughta, they oughta know. But at some point, you do need to come And you do need to see for yourself. Verse 30, back in chapter 4. Then they went out of the city and came to him. 
So the message to the disciples now from this point on, after these men are there, they're, they're on their way at this point, they're on their way coming to Jesus Christ. They're coming out of the city, and apparently they're in a place, they're probably in a wheat field near this well, and they can see the people coming out of the city. And again, I just believe that it is six men here. But now the disciples enter into the equation again. It says, so the message to the disciples, or what I say, to the message to the disciples They need to be spiritually minded and not worldly minded. They need to be farsighted and not nearsighted. And so Jesus is starting to give of these lessons. As salvation is entering in, he's starting to give them their place and their position in the salvation process as they look at him as the example. It's the example that we need to see as well and draw lessons from them. And so the apostles, they were out getting food. The woman, she was out getting water, and none of them had any real spiritual understanding. Verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, now again, he's surrounded by this wheat field in the presence of a well, and so there's this kind of, again, play on words with all of this food, if you will, that's all around and that which the disciples had gathered together. But he said to them, verse 32, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, look at the times when you're really hungry, when you're just famished. You'll probably pretty much eat anything that's edible at times, especially if you were starving to death. And that's the idea Jesus is saying, my passion for nourishment is to do, we know he's talking about, to do the will of the Father. And so you see this intense desire, intense passion, because it's not about him, it's about those whom he is bringing new life to. Now, we know that the Father will take care of whoever the the, the witness is, the evangelist is, as long as they're doing that work of ministry, being obedient to the Father. But he's saying, my passion is not my physical needs. It's why he would eventually go to the cross. My passion is to see, we know, to see people saved. Now again, verse 33, Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Now, this is a common occurrence that we've seen since chapter 3, the ignorance of what Jesus is talking about. Because again, they're learning. With Nicodemus, it was in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And then a little bit earlier, in verse 15, back in chapter 4, this woman of the well, the woman said to her, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She was concerned about indoor plumbing. Nicodemus was just completely confused, and these guys thought that Jesus ate without him. They're just not understanding why. Because none of them really have the Holy Spirit yet. Because again, the apostles, you see, they're kind of the keystone disciples. You know, Remember the keystone cops, for those of you who are old enough, bumping into one another and all of those things? Well, they're always saying and doing the wrong thing and all of that. But as much as we laugh now, you are the same way. But then... There's Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 changes the whole ballgame. Acts chapter 2 turns this man, Peter, again, who we hold up and we can look at as just kind of a silly person to this awesome man of God. And the thing about Peter is he always wanted to do the right thing, but he was never able to do it. But then he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit And he just opened his mouth and people were saved. And he had to be just amazed as he's seeing these things that he was taught by the Lord coming to fruition, gaining understanding in what they really meant. And again, if you read 1 Peter, really 1 and 2 Peter, if you go through and if you examine it, you can go back to the um, Gospels and you can see where Peter has learned his lesson. Peter has learned his lesson. And there's just time and time again as you comb through those scriptures that in Peter's epistles, even though he didn't get it in the gospel, he got it later on because it was the Spirit that gave him understanding. And so the Lord, the Lord is always working on multiple fronts. 
He's in the process of making disciples in three main areas, this woman at the well, his followers, and then the men who have yet to come to him, but these men that are coming out to him, all for the purpose of continuing on in this work and preparing them for the work of ministry. So what is the will that is of the Father that Jesus has such an intense desire to fulfill? First of all, we need to understand what his food is not to know the Father's will. What is it not? It's not just to start another religion. It's not just to start another movement, but it is to bring a personal relationship with God now. It is to completely change things and change perspectives that man now understands that he can commune with God. Because it's my food to do the Father's will. And we see that Christ came and now we've been consumed by Christ. We are now part of the body of Christ. And it's an amazing concept when you think about it. That God looked down upon you. He looked down upon me and He desired us. He desired us with the same... Well, Monday night we went out to Canateros. It's an Italian restaurant on Mountain on the other side of the 60 freeway. It's Italian food, and I had some rigatoni, and my, my grandma used to make rigatoni, and it was really good. And the rigatoni there was, was very good. And I consumed it because I didn't want my wife to eat any of it, mostly. But it, it was just really good. And then afterwards, I ordered a cannoli, and, and just consuming it, because as I'm looking at this cannoli, it, it, it was good. And that she did eat some of it, but nonetheless, nothing I can do about that. But it was, it was good, and it was desirous. And, and, and you were the same way with the Lord. The Lord looked down upon you and he so desired you. But he didn't just come and eat you up. He sent a disciple. Who's the disciple? Who's, you, you should know this person. You should have a picture of him. Probably should very well know their name. Who's the disciple that God sent in your life? Really, think about it. Make it personal. Who is the disciple that God sent in your life. If you're born again, there's somebody there. There's probably a trail of somebody's. There were probably sowers, waters, and, and a reaper, you know, as far as somebody who reaped the, 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 um, the harvest. But there should be somebody. Now, take that and consider who, who is it that you are to be that person in their life? Because again, if God worked that way into your life, God wants to continue that way through your life. And just think, through our disobedience, how easy it is or how easy it would be to stop the process, to to have it dam up at at our lives because of disobedience and because of not opening our mouths or doing the Father's will or having that passion to do the Father's will. But again, it's been continuing on for 2,000 years because it is a work of the Holy Spirit but far be it from us that we would grieve the Holy Spirit. The will of the Father is the totality of the work of Messiah that would be brought to completion upon the cross and the proof would be seen in the resurrection. The psalmist said in Psalm 40, verses 8 and 9, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is written in my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, for you yourself know. I do not, I desire to do your will, the psalmist says, and I do not restrain my lips. Verse 35. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. Look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. We can get caught up in so many things. We're busy people. People will call me or come or ask to meet with me or whatever, and they'll always say, I know you're busy. Everybody's busy. We're all busy. Especially if you have kids, and and with us it's even grandkids now, or just so much that is going on. But we can get caught up in these things to the detriment of others, and we need to consider these things because the Bible's very clear. The life of a human being is but a vapor. And we don't know. I mean, I was, I was kind of shocked last Sunday after service when I got home and I saw the prayer request. Gina and Savannah, as they're on their way to church, a car accident, I think it was on the freeway, a car accident. And, and again, they were fine and they were okay and all of that, but you just think, what, what could have happened? 
I don't know why Tony wasn't with them, but I don't know if he was at home. But can you imagine just saying goodbye to his wife and his granddaughter, sending them off to church, you know, this place that you fully expect them to come back, especially on a Sunday morning. There's no traffic on the freeway on Sunday morning. But then all of a sudden there's that accident. Our life, our life is but a vapor and can be very easily snuffed out. The Bible also tells me that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for me when I was in unsaved state, but also for those who God brings into my life. It's not for me to determine what day. I just need to consider every day as an opportunity for salvation. As we, the church, we need to gather spiritual understanding and then apply that spiritual understanding and not waste what God has given us. Because in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25, that's the same chapter that I just read about the joy of the Lord, the person who entered into the joy of his Lord. But there was another guy. Now this is a person who took the things of the Lord and held them within, hid them, buried them in a field actually. But in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25, it says, when Jesus... I'll read it, verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So first, a talent. Now, a talent is a measure of money, but you can look at it as just that, a talent that has been given by God, a gifting or an ability given by God. Now, this person has been given that, but they have an improper perspective of who Jesus is. I knew you to be a hard man. Well, that's not the Lord. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Well, that's not the Lord either. Verse 25, and I was afraid. So he has an improper perspective of the Lord. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You know that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not uh, scattered seed. So if you truly believe that, verse 27, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. It would have at least multiplied. Therefore, take the talent from him and give to him who has ten talents. Now, where is the deposit in the bank? I think the deposit in the bank that each and every one of us are those who are near to us, starting with our own family. I mean, to put money in the bank and to gather interest is kind of a safe thing. I mean, there's not a whole lot of risk that is there. How much risk is there to train up your children in the ways of the Lord? I mean, they reject you and everything else if they reject you in this. I mean, is it really going to hurt you that bad? And I've seen people who are so afraid of their children in these matters, and it's an amazing thing. Are afraid of their wives, are afraid of their husbands in this matter. It's an amazing thing. You know, you've got the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And so that would be a, the, the very least that we should be doing. And so because this person didn't do it, verse 28, therefore, because of that, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. To who everyone who has more, uh, who everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And then look at verse 30. This person, because of what is said here, wasn't even, an, wasn't even a believer. Why? Because he did not bear fruit. We see the result of that. This person was a tare planted in the midst of wheat and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so you see the necessity to bear fruit. That doesn't prove to the Lord because the Lord sees through all, but it should prove to yourself. It should prove to yourself the fruit in my life reveals who I am. If I can't, had you come to my house, talk about it all the time, and I showed you the two trees on one, side of, on one side of my yard, I'd ask you which one's the apricot and which one's the peach. Well, unless you really knew, you wouldn't know until they produced. On the other side, there's a lime tree and a lemon tree. Without the fruit, if I asked you, you really wouldn't know until they produced. And a Christian, is he really born again? Well, have you partaken of his produce? If you've partaken of produce, or if there's even produce there, then you know. But if there's not, you never see the person at church, never see the person witnessing or serving or, or anything, then very doubtful. It's not for us to make that judgment. It's up to God. But the judgment that you need to make is as you look in the mirror. Am I truly born again? Verse 35. Do not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives a wage 
and, he, and, and, uh, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And so that's all we're doing. We're entering into the labors of others. But we need to continue. We need to continue so that others would enter into our labor. And then others would enter into theirs. And so what is it that you're doing in people's lives today? Well, what you should be doing is sowing seeds. Or maybe those seeds have been sowed. And Well, you know when so-and-so shared the gospel with you? Yeah, that being sowing seeds. Well, what do you think? Do you have any questions? Do you need understanding? You know, when Bob shared the gospel with you, what do you think he was talking? You know, and there's an opportunity to water. And then one day, very possibly, to be part of that, that blessed opportunity of the harvest as well. And so, as we go about our lives, it's what Peter and John were doing soon after the Lord had left and they were filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, there was this man who, by the gate beautiful, was begging bread and he asked for just some alms. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. This man, he, he thought he knew what he wanted. This woman, she thought she knew what she wanted. But we have what they need. We have what we need. And far be it from us that we would hold it, that we would go and hide it in a field or whatever it might be, I pray that we're simply faithful with what God has given us. Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word and the opportunity, Father, to be able to share your word, to be able to preach your word. And even here, Father, it's just about what I have studied and given, and I pray, Father, that it would be taken from this place and distributed out from here, that, Lord, your message would be distributed or multiplied times the people here and then times those who hear it. And so, Father, as you have given us this great opportunity, I pray, Father, that we would truly be found faithful because your word tells us, most of all, it's important that a steward to be found faithful. And Lord, as stewards of your words, I pray, Father, that we were looked upon, we will be looked upon, and be told to enter into the joy of our Lord. We so look forward to that day, but until that day comes, I pray, Father, that you would continue to use us, continue to bless us in the midst of ministry, that, Father, we would see others come into your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We also-